Thank you, thank you. Well, good morning. I have got a little bit of a summer cold, so my voice is kind of an octave lower, but hopefully you will uh, get what I'm saying this morning. Um, Over the summer, I uh, read a really good spy novel, and I quite like that kind of uh, intrigue and, uh, you know, the thrill working out if someone's going to be found out. It was just amazing to see the lengths that people would go to find out information or to hide from someone else finding out about them. And we're going to read a psalm today that is about searching and it's about being known and it's about in some ways hiding from that. And it's Psalm 139. It's a well-known psalm. And so I'm going to read the first uh, 12 verses to you. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. They're wonderful words, aren't they? Beautiful poetry and and so much there uh, to hold on to. And, And in this Um, In this first section of the psalm, we see God's response to us. David is inspired to tell us what God is thinking about us. And the first thing we see is that he knows us, and he is close to us, and he can't stop thinking about us. He loves us. And those truths are wonderful. They're truths to hold on to. And it says that, you know, he watches our sitting down and our rising. He's, he's watching us. He's near us. He loves us. He knows us so closely. Well, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, sometimes you don't want people to know when you're sitting down and when you're rising out. I don't know if you, this ever happens in your household where, you know, someone in your family goes out and they say, well, while I'm gone... Do you think you can, I don't know, do the washing up or hang the washing on the line or start the dinner or feed the dog or, you know, and you just think, oh, yeah, I'll do that. But I'm just going to sit down for a bit first and, you know, maybe you put on the TV or you get out your phone and before you know it, the key is in the door and you hear that person coming back. And, you know, maybe you're honest and you just say, oh, sorry, I've completely forgot. Or maybe you scramble up and pretend that you've been, you know, doing that thing all along. But God, he, he sees our sitting down and our rising. He knows what's going on, 
on the sofa in our house, you know. He, he's, he's with us in everything. And he doesn't just see our actions. He perceives and understands our motives, our thoughts. He knows what everything means that's going on inside of us. If you're one of these kind of internal processor who, you know, people don't know on the outside what's going on, God knows what is going through your mind. If you're an external processor, God knows what you're going to say before you even know what you're going to say. He knows us. And David, the writer of this psalm, he is glad that God knows him. And and the reality is, it's a relief that someone really knows us. Because often we're trying to put on a bit of an act and keep things under control. But to know that fundamentally God knows us is such a wonderful truth. And David, you know, he had things to hide. He had things that he needed to repent of. He was a wonderful king, but he also sinned and he made some terrible decisions in his life. And in this psalm, he speaks about sometimes trying to hide from God. And we do that too, don't we? Sometimes, uh, like Adam and Eve and Jonah, we try and run away. We try and hide from God. Sometimes, actually, we put ourselves in circumstances and make choices that we don't want him to see us. We, we kind of hoping he can't see us. But like the story of the father in the, the prodigal son, God sees everything and he's waiting for us to turn towards him. And he is there with love and grace to welcome us home. home. He's watching and waiting for us. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's nothing hidden from God. It was interesting in Jesus' life that he, although he was a man, he was also able to see into people's hearts and uncover their motives. But he always responded to them with grace and with truth. I think of the story where a woman was taken in adultery and the religious leaders of the day, they they brought her to Jesus because they wanted uh, Jesus to actually condemn her. But Jesus saw what was going on in their hearts, that they were trying to trip him up, and that actually, although her sin was obvious, they also had sin in their hearts. So he said to them, you know, well, whoever's innocent, whoever has never sinned, you cast the first stone. And of course, none of them could. They all crept away and left this poor woman who'd been exposed. And Jesus accepted her with grace, but he also said, yeah, go and don't sin anymore. So there's that sense that God sees us, but he wants uh, the truth that he brings to us to bring us uh, to repentance and forgive us, forgiveness. He longs to forgive us. So he knows us intimately, but he also is close to me. 
David says, God lays his hand on me. You have to be close to someone to lay your hand on them. Now, David also speaks about being hemmed in, about being cornered. So there is a sense that this is, uh, you know, God's hand on him is a hand of correction sometimes. And I was raised in the era, it's gone now, where if you confess something wrong to your parents or grandparents or teachers, sometimes you stood back because you didn't want them to lay their hand on you. Anybody else identify with that? But God's hand is there for correction and for grace, to draw us back to him, to bring us to repentance. In two other Psalms, uh, David uses the image, this image in Psalm 32. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He felt that sense of conviction. In Psalm 38, he says, your arrows have pierced me. And your hand has come down on me. But David also sees that God's hand isn't just to convict us and to correct us, but also it's a hand of blessing. It's a hand of guidance. He speaks about his right hand upholding us. So when we're fearful, his hand comes to pull us in and make us secure. I remember when we looked at Revelation, there's this great verse in Revelation 1.17 where John has seen this amazing picture in heaven and, and the awesome glory of Jesus. And he falls at his feet before Jesus. And then he says that Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. God's hand is there to lift us up. And Isaiah 49 says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. It's as if our names are are branded on his hands. Of course, we know that Jesus, after he went to the cross and he revealed himself to his disciples in the resurrection, there was still the nail prints on his hands, the the, the, the cruel treatment that he underwent for our sakes reminds us that he loves us, that he's close to us, that he is never going to give up on us. And the psalm says, wherever we go, whatever we do, he's going to be with us. Whether we're far from home or close to home, he is with us. Have you ever felt alone in a new country or a new job or a new school. He is with you. Have you ever done something great and been on top of the world? He is with you. Have you ever made a dreadful mistake that you think is going to affect the rest of your life? In that moment, he's still with you. His right hand is there to to convict you, to lift you up, to draw you to him. He will never let you go, whatever your choices are. Whether you try and hide in the darkness, he's still there with you. 
You know, when we, we in the summer, we pray, played hide and seek with our grandchildren. And our oldest grandchildren, grandchild is six. And he understands the principles of hide and seek, that you actually have to hide and someone needs to come and find you. But the others who are like two and three, they didn't get it at all. And actually, they would just like cover their face and think they were completely hidden. And, you know, we're like that sometimes with God, aren't we? We, we pretend God doesn't see what's going on in our lives. And we kind of hide from him. And, and God in this psalm is saying, no, you can't hide from me. I'm there even in the darkness wanting to bring light and hope and turn that situation around. The psalm goes on even into greater depth about how God loves us and is involved in our life. Let me read the next few verses, beginning at verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows us. God is close to us. And God can't stop thinking about us. He's been thinking about us before we were even born. While we were being formed in the womb, God was there watching over us. You know, I worked for many years as a nurse in um, special baby care units, and I looked after very premature babies. And, you know, babies, even very, very premature babies born at, say, 23, 24 weeks, and the normal pregnancy is 40 weeks They've still got character. They've got personality. They, some of them are calm. Some of them are feisty. They respond to their parents' voices and touch, even at that tiny size. And, you know, we, the mystery of, of pregnancy and, and conception, it's, it's biology, it's people's actions and wills, but it's also God. God is there. He is in that process. And every detail of us is, is watched over by him. Don't let anybody tell you that the way you look or the color of your skin or the texture of your hair isn't beautiful because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. No one, no one is an accident to God. You know, this is poetry and, and it's beautiful language. And, you know, what parent that hasn't held their newborn baby hasn't looked at their tiny fingers and toes and say, oh, they're perfect, they're, they're beautiful. Um, but we have to remember that actually all of us are affected by sin and the fall we are beautiful and wonderful, wonderfully made, but we're not perfect. The reality of the, Bi- the Bible says that our bodies are affected by sin. And 
that's demonstrated in that we aren't perfect. And actually, disease and frailty and death is part of the human lot. Some diseases even happen inside the womb. And that's not saying that God isn't there. In fact, God is there to rescue and heal and make right what has been broken but by sin. David himself, the writer of this psalm, he, he lost a baby at seven days old. In 2 Samuel 12, we read about that. But the bigger truth here is that God is active in creation. God is active not just in our spirits, but in our bodies. He cares from conception to eternity about each one of us, and so should we. We should value life at every stage, from unborn baby to the elderly person with dementia. All life is precious. Abortion or euthanasia, the deliberate taking of life, are against the truths expressed here. Every life is precious and is part of God's plan, even if we can't understand that or we struggle with it. If God cares about our bodies, so should we. We should be healthy and eat and drink wisely and rest and exercise and make sure we don't take into our bodies things that would harm us because our body is actually the temple of God and God is concerned with who we are, body, soul, and spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And you know, in the autumn, in September, we'll be advertising again all our different groups And, you know, there's some groups there that will help you keep fit. There's a park run and football and keep fit. And maybe for some of you, your response to this work that you're fearfully and wonderfully made is is to make that resolution. I'm going to look after my body. Or maybe it's actually you need to look at your your soul and how you feel about yourself. And, And we're going to be running a lot of groups that are going to be using Freedom in Christ Material which gets to the heart of who you are in Christ, that you're precious, that you're forgiven, and that should make a difference to how you live. So we've seen God's response to us. He knows us. He loves us. He can't stop thinking about us. But what about David's response? So let's look at Psalm 139, 17, and we'll see how David responds to these wonderful truths. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I'm still with you. So he's grateful. He's full of thanks that God is thinking about him, that God loves him. But then there's like a massive gear shift. And then he says this. 
If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And then there's another gear shift in verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love that, that the Psalms are brutally honest about what we feel and think. Because sometimes we do that in our own minds, don't we? One minute we're praising God, the next minute we're criticizing other people, the next minute we're coming back to God. And, and David is just being brutally honest about how he feels. He's responding with thanks, and then he's got his if only. And then he's saying, search me, lead me. And, and it's so good to be full of thanks for God's intentions towards us and his, his word towards us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But it's really interesting because even in that moment, we can sometimes immediately switch to the if-onlys in our life. Okay, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but if only I didn't have that illness... If only I wasn't in debt. If only my boss wasn't so mean. If only that relationship hadn't ended. And then we can have a bit of a rant, can't we? Like David. And a moan at God. And the great thing is, this is in the Bible. That means it's okay to tell God exactly how you feel about your if-onlys. And we've all got them. The things in our life that just don't seem to change. Now, obviously, for David, he was a man of war. He had Saul, the king, chasing after him at some seasons of his life. He was battling against the Philistines. So when he talks about bloodthirsty enemies, his life probably was in danger. And he was facing uh, literal physical enemies. But, you know, for... For us, we also fear, you know, face enemies, don't we? You know, um, and that's the wonderful thing about Psalms, that if you take that word enemies and you put in place sickness, debt, um, you know, bad relationships, it, it can fit. Because actually in the Psalms, there are loads of Psalms where the writer speaks out about, what am I going to do about my enemies? Will you rescue me, Lord? Will you save me? And so let's bring our enemies to God. Let's bring our if-onlys to God. The other thing about this is that when we realize how precious we are and how precious human life is, we should be angry about injustice and violence and people who harm other people. We should be angry about that. And if we're not, then we've allowed ourselves to be desensitized. We should be 
wanting to respond to what we see on our news and in our papers and on our streets. The difference for us is that we are New Testament Christians, not Old Testament believers. And in the New Testament, it's so clear. Jesus said, love your enemies. Don't be people of cursing, be people of blessing. So whatever we face, whatever our if-onlys, whatever our enemies are, whatever injustice we face, we are called to do this. This is what Jesus says in Luke 6. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God desires that our enemies will be saved. God desires that our sicknesses will be healed. God desires that we will bring those bad situations that we face to him, that he can work through us to bring healing and restoration. And God desires that we should be people of blessing in our community that fight against injustice and pray for people who come against us. You know, um, part of our vision is to see our community restored. And already there are some projects underway to bring that to our community, and there's some more that we'll be launching in the autumn. I think of, um, you know, Restored Lives. Uh, it's a course we'll be running in the autumn, which is, is trying to take the hurt and the brokenness of divorce and bring healing and grace to people. I think of a couple of people I know, one at Beckenham and one at uh, Downham, who want to do something to help people who've been through abortions to find healing and hope and, and grace in that situation. I think of a lady called Michelle at, at Beckenham who was annoyed that people face discrimination for uh, natural hair. And she started last year World Afro Day. And, uh, you know, you may think, what's that got to do with God? But God says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes we need to celebrate who we are and make a point against discrimination. And we want to support those things. Many, quite a few people within all our sites are involved with adoption and fostering and in effect saying every child is precious. So when we read a psalm like this, we shouldn't just feel good about ourselves. We should feel like, no, we, we, we should be people who make a difference in our community. But of course, it has to start in our hearts too, because if if it had just ended with him having a rant and saying how angry he was, he could have easily slipped into bitterness and cynicism. But instead, he comes back to God and he says, you know, search my heart. And the reality is, if we're going to want to make a difference in the community, we need to go in with grace, not with anger. And I love the message version of this prayer that he prays. It says this, Investigate my life, O God, 
find out everything about me, cross-examine and test me and get a clear picture of what I'm all about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. There are things in our heart that offend God, that grieve him, that are sinful. And we need to admit it. We need to stop pretending, stop hiding. And maybe for some of you this morning, there are things you need to repent of that are in your heart before you can prosper and grow and help others. We need to humble ourselves before we go out and kind of tell others what they should do differently. We need to ask God to lead us so that we can deal with our enemies, our if only, out of faith and grace. And then we will find everlasting life. And Jesus, he is our example. He's the way, the truth, the life. He came to earth and died that we might be saved. And he is ready to forgive I'm just going to end with some wonderful verses from 1 John 1, which say this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's allow him to search our hearts this morning. Can I ask the band to come up? I'm just going to pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that we are known by you. Nothing is hidden from you. But even though you know us, you come close to us. You love us. You can't stop thinking about us. From the moment we were conceived to the moment we will die, you're thinking of us. You love us. You hold us in your hand. Your right hand stretches out towards us. And so, God, as we worship, we pray, will you search our hearts? Will you help us come close to you, repent and be forgiven and be the kind of people who will go out into our community and make a difference because you, you're just such a wonderful Lord. Amen.